0: welcome to the Joyful Courage podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth, and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rody. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. Welcome back. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Erica Whitfield. Erica is a licensed mental health counselor and owner of Positive Development, a therapy practice for gifted and neurodivergent children and adolescents. She specializes in in providing strength-based counseling and has helped hundreds of youth unleash their capabilities, transform obstacles into opportunities, and find healthy ways to express their energy and creativity. Erica has been featured on the podcasts Raising Adults, The Gifted Mind, and Adventures in Being Gifted. She has experienced providing professional development to teachers in her local school system and has also written several parenting articles published by Jacksonville Mom a well-known parenting online resource in her community. Hi, Erica, welcome to the show. Hi,
1: Casey, thank you so much for having
0: me on. Yes, I'm so glad to have you. Will you start off by letting my listeners know more of your story about how you got into the work that you do?
1: Yes, so as a child growing up with two very loving parents, I quickly started to learn that my voice had a certain power to it, but only if it was uh, something that my parents agreed with. And so what do I mean when I say that? I learned that if I said the right things, then I'd get applauded and I'd get rewarded. But if I went against the grain or I disagreed with something, I might be judged. And so because of that, I really lost my voice as a child and into adulthood is where I started to find it again. And so my love for this work and working with children and adolescents is. I don't want that to happen to any other kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want them to know that their voices are valid. I want them to feel like they're being heard because parents want their kids to feel heard. And so I love being able to merge the connection when misunderstandings are happening, when kids feel judged, and when parents can open their eyes and maybe think a bit more flexibly so that their needs can be met.
0: Mm.
1: Happy kids and happy parents.
0: (laughs) Yes, I love that. And I'm really excited about our topic today because I don't spend a lot of time talking about sibling dynamics on the show. In fact, I don't know if I've really had a show that's been dedicated to siblings, which is crazy to think about right now, because I do have a lot of clients who talk to me about how and what it looks like for their kids to get along. So we're going to talk about like a phrase that I saw you mention, which is scapegoated sibling. Yes. And that's what we're heading into. So to get us into it, talk to me about what that term means, scapegoated sibling.
1: Sure. So you know, in the simplest form, the scapegoated sibling is the child who may receive a lot of the blame that happens for things in the home. So if you are constantly looking at your child in a negative light and thinking, oh, there they go again, misbehaving again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're always picking on their brother. They're not very fair with their sister. They're so mean to the other kids in the home. If that seems to be a pattern, then that's a sign that that child may have fallen into the scapegoated sibling role. And so I encourage parents to just really reflect on that a bit because I think it's so easy to miss. Mm-hmm. We're so busy looking at the surface behaviors that we may not take the time to dig a little bit deeper and ask ourselves, why? Why? our child yeah. seems to constantly be doing these things that that
0: seem maladaptive. Yeah. What caught your eye? How did you become interested in this? What were you noticing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was kind of, you know, what I just described. It didn't seem right to me, you know, instinctually that one child was just this entity in the home that was creating so much drama. I don't think anyone has that much power. And so, When we're constantly putting blame on one individual, I had to start thinking to myself, you know, how much of this is the child versus how much of this is the actual system that's been Mm -hmm. created and this child trying to adapt, cope, and survive in the system. So that's what really caught my eye, you know? Yeah. And also seeing the kids and hearing their stories and their sides of what was going on. So I have a mom who comes in and is saying, he hit his brother again. But then I sit down with the child and he tells me, I asked my brother three times to please leave me alone. And he kept bothering me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll even say things like, I told my parents that he kept bothering me and they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Or I heard once, I think it was on another podcast and this uh, sibling, he talked about how he had a little brother who would constantly interrupt his privacy. And he would try to tell his little brother. You know, hey, I need some privacy. Please get out of my room. Mm -hmm. Um, His brother kept trying to come into his room. Well, one day he had had enough and he started yelling and screaming. Well, his dad comes in and guess who gets in trouble? Mm -hmm. Him because he was yelling and screaming. And because his little brother would have tantrums when the older brother wouldn't let him in his room, the dad ended up taking the door off of the older brother's room. And to accommodate the younger sibling, so he didn't have to hear the older sibling scream. So it's just these stories; they're really touching, and mm-hmm. the unfairness that a lot of our kids are feeling is something that I want to talk about and really bring to light.
0: Yeah, well, and I'm thinking too about the little kid dynamic, and then how it continues to unfold as kids become teenagers. My kids are 20 and 17 now, and my youngest is my son, and he is always just a Adored his big sister and wanted nothing more than to be with her and play with her. He would do whatever she was doing. And I remember him like knock, knock, knocking on her door and her being like, No, get out. (laughs) And one of the things that I would say to her, like we'd have a side conversation, and I'd say, You know, you just got to give him a little hope. Like you don't have to play with him right now, but maybe you could try saying something like, I'm not going to play with you right now, but in 20 minutes, I will play with you. And like, you know, her two-year-old brother, three-year-old, four-year-old brother didn't have a concept of time, but there was this hope like, oh, not now, but soon you're going to play with me and just little things like that. Because I, Erica, I was a nightmare big sister. I was the (laughs) oldest and I was so mean to everybody like really mean. So much so that my younger sister's like, I don't remember you being mean. I'm like, okay, great. You've blocked it out. I've completely traumatized you. This is great. So with my own kids just have worked really hard imperfectly, I'm sure, to pay attention to that and to try to nurture communication between them. And then as a positive discipline trainer, one thing that comes up for us in our training and when we lead classes is oftentimes, and I would love to get your take on it, oftentimes sibling dynamics can be a reflection of how connected the kids feel to their parents more so than even how connected they feel to each other. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I think you're 100% on point. And I think that many parents too don't realize that it can be very easy to show favoritism to one child over the other unintentionally. Mm -hmm. And you can look at some research out there that will even show you that parents sometimes unknowingly will favor the child who has a personality that's similar to them or a personality that complements theirs. So if you have one sibling who you just kind of naturally get along with, you share a lot of interest with, and then you have another sibling who just kind of maybe challenges your daughter, doesn't think in the same way, it could appear that you are favoring one sibling over the other. Let's say you have a father and he loves to play chess. You have a daughter who loves to play chess. Brother does not like chess. So it's very easy for brother to look at father and daughter and say, oh, wow, you know, they've got this special bond. Dad likes my sister more than I do. But there are these things that are happening Mm -hmm. that we're not really picking up on that are taking place. So, And it's so hard for kids to understand that, okay, you know, they just share an interest versus oh gosh, dad likes my sister more than he likes
0: me. Yeah, and do you think that sometimes it could even be not even in their consciousness? It's just more of this kind of underlying crack in that energetic foundation. So positive discipline is based in Adlerian theory, which is that idea that behavior's about belonging and significance. And so a kid that doesn't feel that connection is gonna look for other ways to get that connection, right? And it's like, you know, because they're five or 10 or 17, they're not really skilled in saying like, you know, I see that you and sister really love chess and I'd really like to find something that we can do together too because I want to be in a relationship with you, right? They don't have the skills to name what it is that's going on for them. And so then they're walking down the hall, sister walks a little too close, sister gets a little shove. Right? right, or a variety of other ways that that can play out. There's a resentment that can build,
1: and yeah. then it manifests itself in these ways that, like you said, may not even be on a conscious level. So now I'm being mean to my sister, but the underlying issue is I'm a little jealous of the relationship and the bond that she has with dad that mm-hmm. I feel like I don't
0: have. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny because, and I would love to hear the advice that you give to parents. But when I have parents that are talking to me about really tough sibling dynamics. And, you know, maybe scapegoating is happening and now I have a language for it. But my offer to a parent would often be, you know, I hear you saying that the kids are having a hard time getting along and I'm going to encourage you to get in some more one-on-one time with whichever one is kind of rising to the surface as the one that is, you know, we used to say problem child, right? Is that kind of the same as the scapegoated sibling, would you say? I think many times, yes, the
1: scapegoated sibling is seen as a troublemaker in the home. And there's another dynamic too. And I don't even know if we can say this is the scapegoated sibling. Maybe this is the martyr sibling. Maybe this is another podcast, yeah. but you also have this dynamic where you have one child who knows maybe their sibling has special needs or circumstances beyond what's considered normal. Yeah. And so they choose or they have learned that they are supposed to sacrifice on behalf of their sibling at all Mm -hmm. costs. And sometimes they may say, wow, I don't have the same issues with being bullied or I don't have the same issues with having this disability that my sibling has. I'm fully functioning in my physicality. I haven't been diagnosed with a mental health issue and so I shouldn't have any problems. So I'm going to suffer in silence because my sibling needs all of my parents' attention and support.
0: Yeah, that is exactly what played out in my house, Erica. Like, exactly. I was aware of that. My daughter, and she's been on the podcast, had some significant mental health challenges. And, you know, I was very conscious of how probably enmeshed I was in her experience and saying to my son, you know, like, I see you. I'm here for you. I remember him being like, Mom, I'm just going to graduate from high school and go to college and get a career and get a wife. And it's all going to be very normal and traditional. And I was like, okay, but whatever you need, whatever kind of breakdown you need to have, like I can hold it. It's okay. Yes to that. Have it be (laughs) simple. Thank you. And it doesn't have to be right. I love that. math with your kids, you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in I don't want that. And I don't want to put you through what you're going through right now. And I was so glad that he did because it was an opportunity to let him know like, nope, you get to have your journey and it can look however it looks regardless of this situation over here. Yeah. Talk more about that because I, especially working with teenagers, I mean, I have a lot of parents who have kids with some significant challenges, you know, especially around mental health. That is the one that comes up the most and self-harm and They're scared and they're worried. And how does a parent help themselves like stretch into a more mental, emotional capacity to hold for the other kids in the family? Oh, geez. (laughs) Million dollar question.
1: You know, it sounds so counterintuitive, of course, but we know this. First, we have to make sure as the parent that we have enough space to hold our own emotions. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to at least get enough self care in that we can emotionally regulate so that we're not sending like these negative messages to our kids and so that we can be there to hold space for them. And then I also think that sometimes we parents, we have trauma too, and we have our own things that we're bringing into our relationships with our kids. And so there's some self-reflection that needs to be done as well. We need to look at ourselves and maybe think, you know, why does it seem to be that my one particular child continues to trigger me? I read once that any issue that we have with someone else is just reminding us of an unresolved issue that we have within Mm -hmm. ourselves. And so, doing that deep work and just taking time to reflect on your own stuff is really important. Yeah. To give you an example, I worked with a parent, and this parent was bullied by an older sibling over the course of their childhood. She ended up having two kids, and she was. Really hyper focused on making sure that that didn't happen in the home, but so much so that she laser focused in on one and that one became the scapegoated sibling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. She lasered in on one. What does that look like? How can we help ourselves recognize when we are inside of that kind of dynamic?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's so hard because you don't realize you're in Mm -hmm. it, you know? So look for signs like, do I have one child who seems to be withdrawing from the family? Do I have one child who's making a lot of comments about things being unfair and unjust in the home? A big sign is if you are constantly seeing one sibling be very vengeful and spiteful with Mm. the other. That's my red flag because they're seeking some justice for Mm. something. Something has happened to them. They don't feel like their sibling was held accountable and they're seeking justice. And this is how they're getting it. They're hitting, they're pushing, they're calling their siblings names. They're not including them anymore in the things that
0: they're
1: doing yeah, as a way to kind of say, I'm going to take my control and power back and this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to even the score.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of one of the beliefs behind behavior that we talk about in PD, which is revenge, right? I'm hurting. I don't feel like I can belong. So I'm going to hurt others. And I had a mentor Mm -hmm. who talked about if you're carrying an energetic backpack full of nails, the easiest way to get rid of them is to, Pass them around, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I yeah. think that's such an important point to make. And I think when we talk about beliefs behind behavior, what I try to support parents with is recognizing first, how does the behavior make them feel? And the revenge misguided goal is energetically, it feels like a punch to the gut where you're just, oh, I can't believe you would do that or you would say that, that disbelief or disgust. And I think that absolutely comes up when our kids get into it with each other. And I think it's, you know, something listeners to be paying attention to. If you're having those moments, then this is a great opportunity to kind of lift up and out and start, yes, looking at the dynamic between your kids, but I think it's also an invitation to look at your dynamic with each of the kids separately and how that might be creating this space where there is some hurt and disconnection. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, especially our sweet ADHD kids, right? Who spend their whole childhood being told they're too much, sit down, be quiet, calm down, right? And I can only imagine how exhausting it is for the parent, right? Right. Yeah. So like this conversation, no blame or shame here. And we see you working really hard. So what are some tips that you have for parents who do recognize they're in this dynamic and kind of creating this scapegoated sibling? How do we back out of that?
1: The first thing when you realize you're in this dynamic is this is taught in business. You know, ask why five times. Okay, why did sibling A hit sibling B? Okay, let's just say older sibling and younger sibling. Why Mm. did older sibling hit younger sibling? Okay, because younger sibling came into his room. Why did younger sibling come into his room? Because younger sibling was bored. Why was younger sibling bored? Well, because younger sibling was feeling understimulated and needed something to do. Okay, what can we do about younger sibling needing something to do? All right, well, maybe we can make sure that he has a routine and structure and other things that can keep him busier so he doesn't feel like he has to constantly bug his older brother. And then you keep going until you hit yeah. five things. And then it's a way to just take the blame out of you know any particular one person and look at the situation as a whole. So ask why something happened five times. Mm. The second thing you can do is really, it goes back to that self-reflection piece is, and I wrote down some really great questions. I'm going to grab them here because I don't want to miss one. So the questions I wrote down, number one, Sometimes we can have a scapegoated sibling because the child could be perceived as a threat. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by threat? For example, let's say we have a father and this father has issues with alcohol. And when the kids are younger, they don't really make too much of a fuss about it. They just kind of go along with the program and the dysfunction that may be happening in the home. However, when older brother gets even older, he starts to realize, oh, I don't think I like the way dad talks to mom I don't think I like the way he talks to me when certain things happen and I see drinking happening. And then he may start to challenge his father Mm -hmm. and father isn't willing to do that self-reflection and look inward and maybe work on issues that he's having. That child can easily be seen as a threat to the homeostasis of the family. Yes. So now it's not, oh, dad has a drinking problem that he needs to address. It's he's being disrespectful and he's talking back to me. Another question or you know that parents can consider is are they advocating so much for one child because maybe a mental health diagnosis or a physical disability that they also forget to meet the needs of the child who seems to be functioning in a higher level of functioning so again it goes back to a lot of our high functioning kids feel like they're not even allowed to have problems because they don't have the same needs that maybe their special needs siblings Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. So we have to pay attention to both, especially in the neurodivergent world. If you have a neurodivergent child and a neurotypical child, we have to make sure that both kids are getting their needs met. Another question that I pose to parents is, are you comparing one child and making one child the golden child and comparing another child to that child? So what does that look like? Well, your sister is in New York in college and you're not. Or we may say something like, Well, your brother makes all A's. Why can't you make all A's? Mm -hmm. So we got to look at the individual unique differences of our children, encourage them, of course, to be their best, but know that they may not be replicas of each other. Yeah. And then finally, a question of, you know, is my child reminding me of a dynamic that I have with someone else that I may have had with one of my siblings that's playing out again? So these are the things that I just encourage parents to do. You know, ask why five times and then think about those questions to do some self-reflection.
0: I love the asking why five times. I talk on the podcast a lot. My listeners have heard me talk about the iceberg metaphor yes. and right like behavior being at the tip of the iceberg and if we keep chipping away at behavior, whatever the dynamic is underneath, it's just going to continue to come to the surface. So the why is what I'm hearing you offer right now is a pathway in getting under the surface and recognizing like the issue isn't big brother hitting little brother. The issue actually is little brother not being stimulated enough or not having the tools to ask big brother for help or to play. And also big brother simply not having the tools either. Right. Right. We hit and hurt when that's what we know, right? That's the quick and dirty way of getting our message across. I really appreciate the conversation around neurodivergence too and the comparison. And we talk a little bit about birth order as well. And, you know, when one child is really good, you know, is the achiever, there's not always room for this other kid to be that. And so it's like, well, you're really good at being good. I can be really good at being bad. Sure. I can take this other role.
1: Sure. You know, an interesting dynamic I see in therapy, too, is when I've worked with twins and one twin may have been labeled as the scapegoated twin. Mm -hmm. And once that twin gets in therapy and starts to work on things and is now uh, behaving prosocially and is functioning in more acceptable ways, the golden child sibling then starts to act out because the role is threatened what do you mean we're giving my twin a reward? My twin is the one who always gets in trouble. I'm the one that gets the reward. What's my role now? And we right. just have to let our kids know like, hey, we can share this role. You can both be the golden children.
0: Yeah, well, and you mentioned homeostasis, right? Homeostasis in a system, when a system starts to get healthy, it feels unfamiliar. Yes. And what systems ultimately want is that familiar, not necessarily healthy, And so it's so interesting how, yeah, like you lift up here and you drop down here and it's just, but I think that awareness and that conversation around, oh, look what's happening right now. This is why it's happening. And isn't that interesting? And I just think that's so useful. Also, that last thing that you said, when the child's reminding me of a dynamic playing out again, I was just talking about this on another podcast episode When things got really hard with my daughter and she didn't want to live with our family anymore in her moment of like meltdown, she said that and I had an inappropriate reaction. Like it was my whole body tightened up and it was so interesting. I couldn't loosen it like energetically. It was so bizarre until I realized I was her exact age when I moved into my dad's house from my mom's house. And I never thought about the experience that, I mean, I thought about it a little bit, but I was having this whole new opportunity to experience a little bit of what my mom went through. I ended up calling my mom and telling her about it. And we had this really powerful healing that got to happen because of this thing that Rowan said. And it's just, it is so interesting the ways that dynamics are going to play out until they get healed.
2: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and, 6-1 since that matters, and, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't
3: have to. Download the new Bumble now. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place.
1: Such a powerful example that you just shared, you know, and your ability to be able to reflect and have that insight and then actually make change in action. I mean, that's what it's about. You know, this isn't about making any parent feel guilty if they discover that they have been scapegoating one child or one child has fallen into the scapegoated role. It's just Mm -hmm. about bringing awareness to it, doing that reflection, and then figuring out how can we make meaningful change? So that our children grow up and can still have healthy relationships with us versus feeling like, you know, they turned their back on them or
0: right. being resentful towards them. Yeah. So again, okay, we now, okay, listener is realizing, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> I am doing that with one of my kids. And what does repair look like? Is repair an appropriate first step when you realize that that's been a dynamic? What do you think about that?
1: Sure. I think that having just a conversation with your child about just how they're feeling, you know, like what are some of the things in the home that you feel are fair? What are some of the things in the home that you feel are unfair? Now, be prepared for anything because some kids will say, well, I think it's unfair that you make me take out the trash, but you don't make my little brother take out the trash. Mm -hmm. And the little brother's like a (laughs) one-year-old. Yeah. 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 So have the conversation about what they think is fair and unfair, and then just start to negotiate. That's how we can start getting back to this balance of justice. So, okay, look, I'm not going to make your little brother take out the trash because he's one years old. Mm -hmm. However, we can look at maybe taking trash duty off of your chore list, a few times a month, okay? So Mm -hmm. meet in the middle and just start that negotiation process. They may not be able to get everything they want, but how can we show that we're hearing them and we're
0: trying to make an effort to make things fair? Yeah, and I love, you know, what you said, be prepared. Yeah, be prepared for that because I like to offer, invite parents to say like, how do you experience me? What is it like to be, I have a client who's got two daughters and the youngest daughter is the tough one. And, you know, one of the things I invited her to do was to take her out to lunch and say, "You know, I was the oldest in my family. I don't know what it's like to be the youngest. What is it like for you?" Ugh. I think it's can be so powerful to give our kids space to let us in on their experience and it's really hard when your kids are like, "Yeah, you're on my back all the time. I feel like I can't do anything right and that you're always really critical." Yes. It's an invitation to do your own work. Take deep breaths, not make them wrong, not get defensive, not justify your behavior, but instead hold it, use it, learn from it, right? Validate, which is not the same as you're right, but it does sound like, gosh, that must be really hard to feel like that and to experience me that way.
1: Absolutely. And what a beautiful conversation for every parent to be able to have with their child. Like, how are you experiencing life here in this family? How do you experience me? I would have loved to have an invitation like that to open up and talk more to my parents and knowing that they would receive it versus try to prove me wrong or point in the other direction that my thoughts and feelings were not valid just to receive it. You don't have to agree, like you said. It's just about listening to how they're experiencing the world. And it's interesting because no two kids have the same two parents because parents yeah. are always growing and evolving themselves. And so it's very interesting how one sibling can perceive their parents in one way and another sibling perceive them in a completely different way because they're looking at their parents at different developmental stages mm-hmm. of the adults.
0: Yeah. Or like I, my experience of family was from the perspective of being the oldest Uh, You know, I have a different family system than my younger siblings. And I just, that's so fascinating to me. And even the things that like, I think those of us that, and I definitely felt this early on a little bit was that really big desire to make sure my kids got along and that they were kind to each other, but also recognizing, and I want listeners to really hear this, even when things are like patterns are playing out again, Your child is not you. They are in a different family system, right? You are not your parents. You might have some, you know, moments where you're like, oh God, that was my mom or oh my gosh, I just said exactly what my dad would have said. But at the end of the day, they're in a different family system. They are having a completely different experience that you're having. There's no possible way that they are gonna have that sit with the same issues that you have. That being said, you also have a responsibility and an opportunity to, you know, like I like to say, lessen the amount of therapy that your kids are going to need as adults by doing your own work and just being really willing to grow alongside them and realize like I did when that reaction to my daughter happened, that was a place for me to really get curious about the why. It, that why I was feeling that way. And I think that, you know, I don't know how old you are, Erica, but if you're a Gen Xer like me, <laughs> you might be a millennial. You look a little younger than me. I'm like a dinosaur millennial, but I could be considered <laughs> like an Xer as well. <laughs> okay. 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 We'll let you in the club. But I think, you know, I appreciate, at least, you know, in the bubble that I live in, I love that parenting has become this opportunity to grow and explore and learn more about ourselves more than ever before. And I think this conversation about how we're experiencing the sibling dynamic and whether or not we're willing to, you know, recognize our contribution to it is just one more indicator of our willingness to continue to grow and develop as humans. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are two baby steps do you think that parents can make to strengthen that homeostasis, that bond, that healthy bond inside of the family?
1: Yeah. Well, baby steps, you know, again, just about opening up that communication. You can get so creative with this. You know, I recommend appreciation boards to parents. And so what you do is when you see your child, do something nice in the home or Mm -hmm. you just like see them. Maybe do their talent. Maybe they like to sing or dance or they they just finished a book or they won the chess match. You saw them be nice to their sibling. You just write it down on a little note and you put it up on a board where everyone can see. Hmm. And this board represents us appreciating each other. And if you're lucky, your kids will even start writing you notes back. So that's one small thing that you can start doing with a simple, you know, post-it note. Yeah. Another thing I recommend is have some kind of communication exchange system. We had a parent once who just had a little notebook and the notebook was in a community spot in the home. And when anyone thought something was unfair or just had a problem with something or needed something, but didn't feel comfortable talking about it, they could just write it in the notebook. And then the parent would go back and write their response in the notebook. And they never verbally talked at all. It was all in written form. And so it was just a great way to kind of keep a gauge on who's feeling what, and then how can I help meet the needs of that child?
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that that doesn't assume that communication should look a certain way. I really appreciate that. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking like, well, Erica, this is one of our tools. It's called the family meeting. Mm -hmm. Family meetings start with (laughs) compliments and appreciations every week where we get to acknowledge each other and then we get to you know, share about what is challenging. But even as I was thinking while you were talking about that, you know, there's going to be the kiddo who's willing and able and happy to do it, share about all the issues that they're having. And then there's going to be perhaps another child, and that's not their temperament. So I really love the notebook as an alternative, another way to be able to express. I think that that's really powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Well, I am just so glad to meet you. Thank you so much for your work and what you do for families over there in Florida. Mm -hmm. Listeners, Erica's on the opposite side of the opposite corner from me of the country. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to make sure to leave listeners with today before we wrap?
1: I would love listeners to connect with me and join my free newsletter. I send out tips that can help you with the mental health of your children with stress, anxiety. And you get a once a week email from me with just some really great witty articles. They're fun to read. So if you're interested in that, you can go to my website, www.positivedevelopmentllc.com and check that out.
0: Awesome. I'll make sure that link's in the show notes. And are you on social media? Can people find you on social media? You can find us on Facebook under Positive Development, LLC. Okay, awesome, yay. And my last question that I ask all my guests is what does joyful courage mean to you?
1: I love this question. So I wrote it down and I wanna read it verbatim. Oh, cool. So for me, joyful courage means being bold enough to show up as your authentic self and accepting the unintentional consequences along with the infinite rewards that come with doing so. (gasps)
0: That gave me the chills, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to really think about that. I love Thank you for the that. Question. I love the word bold. Mm-hmm. Being bold and then well, actually, will you say it again? Say sure. It again. The, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. I want to okay, hear the whole right. thing again. <laughs> That's how much I liked
1: it. <laughs> I love it. Being bold enough to show up as your authentic self in accepting the unintentional consequences along with the infinite rewards that come with doing so.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Yay. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me, Casey. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproudable.com tune back in later this week for our thursday show and i'll be back with another interview next monday peace